Hello and welcome. I'm Peter White. On today's show, we look at Jimmy McGovern's gritty high-end drama Broken and Comedy Central's entertainment format Your Face or Mine, starring Jimmy Carr and Catherine Ryan. We also take a look behind the scenes at Channel 4's new series Ackley Bridge and discuss some of the biggest news stories of the week. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Joining me in Maple Street Studios is broadcast features editor Robin Parker. Hello, Robin. Hello, Peter. I gather you're uh, you're straight off the tube from a, a screening of Ackley Bridge, the new Channel Four show. Yes, just come from Horse Ferry Road. It's their first eight pm continuing drama, or hoping to be continuing drama, to have launched since the end of Brookside. How was so, it? I can't say too much because I know a lot of the information is embargoed in terms of storyline and stuff. But in terms of the style of show, it's a, it's an eight pm school drama, but they've clearly given a bit more of a, a Channel Four spin than what you might expect from Waterloo Road, the former BBC One series. You mean it's a little bit edgier? A little bit edgier. It's just very, it's very pacey. It's got a good good bit of humour and some, some great characters. There's a lot of storylines that you can see developing in interesting ways. And it does a very smart setup, really, that I think works for them in lots of ways. It, it's a Yorkshire setting and there's a predominantly white school, a predominantly Asian school have been combined. There's some office politics amongst the teachers and the sponsor of the academy or the modern school who has his own interest and is putting his nose in a little bit as well. So a really good kind of solid grounding for episode one and it, it rattles through pretty quickly. Right. When it was first announced back in uh, 2014, I think it was known then back as the ABC, they were sort of suggesting it might be a long-running soap. Uh, what's happened to it since then? It's still the, the hope that, certainly from the production company, as you'd imagine, that, that the orders will gradually increase, starting as a six-parter. But they've, they've shot it pretty quickly. They, they shot it from the end of January and, and they're screening it now in May. And they've got the lease on the former school that they're, that they're filming it in, tying down the cast and so on in the, in the coming months. All being well, you can see Channel 4 getting behind it. I think personally it's a shame they haven't committed to perhaps a couple of series up front or a longer run just to, just to kick it off and get to know the characters. But the question will be, you know, does it reach the right part of the audience that they're trying to reach? Yeah. In, in some ways it's a political commission. Channel 4 is under a lot of pressure to reach the older child age group. And I think... You know, it may be difficult to appeal to the age of the audience of the characters they feature, so 15, 16, 17 year olds, but I think certainly amongst the, the younger teens and tweens, it may be a show they can watch with their family. All right, no, we'll see, uh, see you soon. What else has been on the, uh, on the TV in the, in the Parker household? A number of things. I mean, I've been loving the, the return of Master of None on Netflix. Master of None series two. I guess you've watched more than one episode. How many are you through now? Uh, we're halfway through in, a, in a, over a couple of nights. They're very enjoying it. I mean, the secret to, I think, this particular show is that because it treats its subject quite differently each week, it just feels fresh. Sometimes you get those long order Netflix dramas and it's a stretched out story. You can think by about halfway through, am I going to see this through to the end? No matter how good it is, you might feel it's more of the same. This, A, it's 25 minutes long. B, they go for something a bit different each week. It keeps, I, on, it keeps on your toes. I just feel hungry when I watch it. Yeah, well, particularly in the, the two Italian episodes. Yeah. In, in Terrestrial, I really enjoyed the BBC Two's adaptation of King Charles III. I thought that was a, a great, bold commission and really worked on the on the screen. As controversial as the Daily Mail suggests. Well, you could see it in some ways like that. And I suppose the controversial aspect is the BBC doing it. You know, it's, it's already a, a well-established play and they've done it on BBC Radio a couple of times before. But I think you'd only really do a very hardened royalist to take much offence at it. It's it's in the spirit of 
royal plays down the ages, shall we say. <laughs> How about yourself? I've been watching Twin Peaks to get ready for the uh, the return of the show, uh, of familiarising myself with a show that I think I watched 20 years ago. And uh, are you still at, the, at peak Twin Peaks or are you in the, the kind of lower points of series two right now? Yes, I've seen... Series one, which I assume is is peak Twin Peaks, and then I'm and now into the bowels of season two. Where I think I, the first half of series two is actually pretty peak. I mean, I start to get to the point where I don't know what's going on, and I'm waiting for the end. Admittedly, an end that is quite truncated from what what I can remember. Um, but really excited for it to come back. I'm going to be one of those people that uh, either stays up very late and watches it on Sky Atlantic, or watches it very early the uh, the following morning. Yeah, it's interesting. The state of mind you have to be in to watch. An 18th of a movie each week. I think I'll need a very damn fine cup of coffee to uh, to get me through that one. Moving on to the stories of the week, it appears that Jay Hunt is the front runner to become the chief executive of Channel 4. Stories suggest that she may be edging ahead of sales boss Jonathan Allen, uh, Shine boss Alex Mann, and UK TV chief executive Darren Childs in a short list of five. Apparently, uh, Jay is the front runner. What do you make of that, Robin? There's a fifth person there we don't know about, right? Yes. Okay. It, could it be Tim Davey? It could be. I'd heard other names like Sharon White mentioned as well. The reports I hear from people vaguely in the know is that you know, she's certainly being very very calm and confident. So we'll see how that goes. And it'll be interesting because if that is the case, it'll be the, you know, the first time they've kind of moved up from a, a programme chief to a chief exec, which, you know, given everything else that's going on Channel 4 at the moment, people who know the business inside out has got to be pretty good. And... If she promotes from within, underneath her, then that, that ensures some stability. The only sort of caveat to that is, you know, Channel 4 does thrive on change. And each turn of the wheel brings, you know, a few months or a year of disruption. But in the past, it has led to reinvention, which is what Channel 4 is all about. So can the person who's reinvented it over the past few years usher in that next phase of reinvention? Most of our readers will care less about the chief executive job, but more about the chief creative officer job. So either way, whether Jay becomes chief executive and hires a, a new her, or whether she doesn't get the job, it will probably leave. So that's probably the, the role that will interest most of our readers. Well, indeed, that's the person who's setting the, the direction of the programming. She is someone who likes to have her imprint upon things. Uh, so I'm sure be a very close relationship creatively between her and her chief, if indeed she does become chief executive. Busy week over at Horseferry Road. It emerged today that the government, uh, or the Tory campaign, has put in his manifesto that Channel 4 will move out of London. So they're not really pulling any punches here. It seems that the consultation may have been uh, a bit of a white pony. Yes, or kind of, you know, something they kind of have to be seen to be doing, essentially, isn't it? A little surprising that it's sort of been spelt out in those terms. You wouldn't think it would be a great, you know, thing to sway things in an election campaign. But, you know, they are nailing their colours to their mast on this. And as our story this week about Scotland suggests, you know, there are some possible other smaller scale options on the table for Channel 4 and the government to listen to. This is them sending daytime or, or factual and features commissioners up to Scotland. Mm. Yeah, it's not, it's not impossible that a small part of the commission could be elsewhere. They are commissioning from the regions and Ackley Bridge is a very good example of that. Producers will always have to come to London to see other broadcasters. It's not the same as having the BBC studios. It is, it's a publisher. So they will always work with regional indies. Yes, they should be out there and they should perhaps have some satellite offices and people regularly going out. But what advantage does it have to, to be out there? There's still that, that question, which I think the Conservatives aren't really answering. They, they seem to be treating it like the BBC, which is obviously not. A move that very few people in the TV industry seem to want. I'm sure Theresa May knows what she's doing. That's our news. You can read more on these stories and others on broadcastnow.co.uk or in this week's magazine. Interview time now. 
We find out how hot or not Comedy Central's reboot of Your Face or Mine is. The Jimmy Carr and Catherine Ryan-fronted show, which has been ordered for 22 episodes by the pay TV broadcaster, produced by Talkback, launched this Wednesday. With us is Louise Holmes, Director of Programming at Comedy Central and MTV. Before we speak to Louise, we are going to hear a clip of the show. What is Stephanie's worst feature? Nose. I'm Sarah, and I'm Kai's ex. What's your answer? Who's better looking? I'm going to go with Sarah. This is beautiful. Such beautiful girls. But one more so. No! Who's better looking out of the two of you? My wife, Charlotte. You are so loyal, but this is for money. (laughs) Show's meant to break people up. (laughs) I've never seen anyone look sadder to win money. Judge your partner's looks for cash. Or play it safe and lie to save your relationship. What would you choose? Love. Or money. Brand new, your face or mine. Coming soon on Comedy Central. Hello, Louise. How are you? Very well, thanks, Pete. I hear you were out watching a a record of the show itself last night. Yeah, we just finished our final recording for the series. We've done 22 episodes and last night was a bit of a big bang finale because we had a celebrity special edition, which was great fun to film. Fantastic. How did the record go? Yeah, very well. All straightforward. Lots of good humour in the studio and Jimmy and Catherine were in brilliant form. And in fact, I think they were a little bit sad (laughs) for the recording to come to an end because they've had such fun together. I bet they have. So let's uh, just go back to the start. How did it come about? How did you sort of get involved with, with bringing the show back? It's been an ambition that I've had for the channel since I joined to diversify the slate and to get out of the straitjacket, if you like, of the US scripted sitcoms and stand-up, which has been the backbone of the channel for a number of years. So we started to think about comedy in all its different flavours and where we could go next as a channel. One of the thoughts we had as game shows, the channel's never had a game show, we started to look at what 1634 viewers watch and we saw that there were huge numbers for shows like Pointless or Eggheads, even University Challenge and those shows aren't particularly aimed at young people. So we thought there's an opportunity, what if we were to find a game show that was directly aimed at the younger generation at 1634s? So we started then thinking about different formats and what existed, what could we invent, what, what could we bring back? We thought long and hard and, and looked at what was out there in the market. It's actually hard to break a brand new format, particularly for a digital channel. It's a tough genre. It's a really tough genre and their fail rate is pretty high. So we scoured the shelves. We uh, looked at things and this could have been Supermarket Sweep. It could have been <laughs> Strike It Lucky. It could have Blimey. been Blockbusters. But we landed on Your Face or Mine. And it was something that a couple of the younger people in my team recognised as something they'd watched at uni 10, 15 years ago and thought there's an opportunity. It's a brand that has equity, it has heritage, people will know it and let's try and reinvent reinvent that for Comedy Central. And when it first launched back in 2002, we sort of pre-Tinder, it seems almost more relevant in 2017 than it might have been back then. Definitely. That's one of the things that I think struck us about the format, that in the time that it first was on air, the culture that we live in now, which is sort of this self-obsessed, selfie, slightly gone crazy generation, is right there. And this is what they do all the time. So it feels more natural to our audience than perhaps it did as a TV format back then. And Jimmy hosted the original. Was he always on board when you got the sort of green light to go ahead? So we had a kind of semi-green light, depending on the talent. And the dream was to get Jimmy, but we had no idea if he wanted to do the show, where he was at with his other commitments. So we we brought it up with Talkback, who own the format, 
And they said, you'll never guess. We had lunch with Jimmy a couple of months ago and he said the one show he would love to bring back that he was so fond of from that very early days of his television career is Your Face or Mine. So let's try, let's go and talk to Jimmy. And we had a fascinating breakfast at his house. It kind of went from there. The relationship just developed over a course of months. He he was very heavily involved because he knows the format mm. and he does see it as the start of his TV career in many ways. So he's got such affection and understanding of the show. He was sort of a guiding force from a creative point of view throughout the process, really very heavily involved and incredibly professional. It's great to have him back on board because he's obviously a lot more famous than he was back in 2002. So to get him in, you know, yeah. in the show is, is quite a coup. It's a huge coup for Comedy Central. It's been part of what we've been trying to grow towards as a brand over the last couple of years in terms of having big names on the channel. Started with Russell Howard, we've had Chris Ramsey, and now to have Jimmy and, of course, Catherine yeah. as co-hosts on this show. It, it's fantastic for us. So she comes in for June Sarpong. What was it about Catherine that attracted you to her? Well, I think one of the challenges that we wrestled with as a channel is how does this game show sit on Comedy Central. We've never had a game show before. It wasn't obviously comedy, although Jimmy hosted it. So that was something we wrestled with. What's the tone? How do we find the funny in it? How do we double down on the funny and really find those comedy beats? And it took us a few goes and auditions and thoughts, and then we hit on, we need another comedian to host it. Doubling down on the funny and having Catherine alongside Jimmy will really make it fit with our schedule, fit with the channel, and really bring the humour out. And she's worked on some other projects of yours and some stand-up stuff and, she has. and so forth, hasn't she? But this is, I think, her first volume commitment in terms of a show. And she and Jimmy are magical together. They have very different roles. Jimmy can be quite cutting and, and quite cruel, but with a you know twinkle in his eye. And Catherine is very deadpan and very much, I sense, sort of on the couple's side. So they sort of yin and yang each other and provide that balance. It's great. <laughs> it's quite similar to the original, isn't it, in terms of the setup of the show and the, and the format, right? It is. I mean, we've modernised a couple of elements. I think the number of rounds is the same, but the structure, particularly the second round, is slightly different. I think in the old days, they used to compare the contestants to a member of the audience. And I have to say, when we watched that now in 2017, we found that a bit awkward and uncomfortable because that member of the audience hadn't necessarily been chosen to be part of the show. So we've sort of taken great care over how we cast it and who we have in the shows. And the solution to that round was to introduce a lineup on stage, and that's cast through professional actors and talent agencies. So it feels like a very safe and robust place to have that competition between the contestants and the public. How has the production been? As you say, you, earlier you said you filmed the last of, of this run. It's filmed mm -hmm. in London Studios, right? Yes. It's filmed in uh, ITV Studios, which is fantastic, a great location. We've been doing two records a day and Talkback have been absolutely magnificent and just a dream to work with. They are the masters of this genre in terms of producing audience-driven volume, panel and, and game shows. And I have to think, say that particularly their casting has been excellent in terms of the variety of couples and contestants that we've had. They've scoured, I think, the UK and brought real diversity in terms of sex, ethnic backgrounds, couplings of you know unusual demos and backgrounds together. It's been great. That's one of the biggest challenges, presumably, for the show is in the casting. Yeah, I think it is. And we have to ensure, and there's a great duty of care taken around ensuring that the contestants know exactly what they're signing themselves up for. They know what the show is. They obviously consent to appear in the final version once it's made. And we have a psychologist there just to make sure they understand that they are going to have 
fun, gently poked at them by two of the nation's funniest comedians. It is all done with absolute good humour and good intent. And I think the comments that came out last night on air on Twitter in terms of how audiences were reacting to that really bore out that good humour. Have you broken up any relationships yet? There have been a couple of arguments, <laughs> I, have to, I have to say. But again, you know, there's a support team there. And I think going backstage after the record and just checking that they're OK and that the couples kind of sort out any little niggles that come up has been a really important part of what we do and all has been resolved very well. <laughs> good, good. But otherwise a relatively straightforward studio shoot. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I have to say, actually, there was a challenge around the mystery guests. Right. Because that's such a key part of the show. In the final round, the couples genuinely don't know who's coming onto stage, who's going to sit between them in that awkward space on the sofa. Whether that's the, an ex or a family member or, exactly or, or right, someone like that. Exactly right, a flame from the past, whoever it might be. And we did a couple of run-throughs, and sometimes the mystery guests didn't turn up. Sometimes they bottled out at the last minute. Sometimes they let it slip, they were going to appear. And Talkbat said, you really have to take a leap of faith on this. And the closer to record that we book them, the less chance there is of them backing out, the less chance there is of them spreading the word. And so that that's a jump you know we've had to do with Talkback and it has, it's worked brilliantly every time I have to say. We were talking about given that the show initially launched sort of 15 years ago Comedy Central is a channel that appeals to or, or you're looking to attract young audiences. Mm. Does the fact that many of them might not have been watching TV or born uh, when it was originally on was that one of the challenges to we obviously got young older people like myself who, who remember the show but you're trying to get that 16 to 34 audience. Yeah I think we've had a dual approach there there's obviously the older audience that know about the shows you say and will, will come and check it out for sort of nostalgia's sake. But we've had quite heavy marketing and digital support around the show, deliberately focusing on explaining the concept and engaging younger audiences who absolutely get the Tinder and the comparing looks aspect of the show, but introducing them through Jimmy and Catherine, who, who have great followings in that younger demographic. It seems like you've taken over the London transport system with the, uh, with the marketing. <laughs> Every bus or tube I get on, is that, is that deliberate ploy? <laughs> it was very deliberate. And uh, I don't know if you saw Waterloo last I night. I did, yeah. Uh, there was a huge uh, wall of motion images there too. So yes, it's had a huge amount of support. And it launched last night, the first two episodes. Were yes. You, were you happy? Uh, it got about 100,000 across the two episodes in total. Were you happy with the, uh, the reaction? In terms of 1634 viewers. Oh, I was looking at the, the total number, but I guess you looking at... The we look at 1634s. We are super happy. Interesting thing, I think it's so challenging these days to launch a non-scripted show because it doesn't have the same appointment to view need that a drama or a scripted comedy with a narrative has. These shows are the sort of shows that once they become familiar to our audiences, they'll find them, they'll come to them regularly. But it will take time and it will take a number of series. If you think about things like Celebrity Juice or Take Me Out... How many series are they into now? And so first episode of a brand new series, it will take time. And the strategy in commissioning this was it's repeatable, it's mm. strippable, we'll use it again and again, and that awareness and profile will build. That's important for you, isn't it, that you can put an episode on that's self-contained, that can someone can watch, it doesn't necessarily matter when and where they watch it. Absolutely. And I think as audiences become familiar with this show, they'll come to it time and time again when they see it in the schedules. It's funny, actually. It's one of the things that struck me as I watched the edits and the onlines and the offlines as they came in. It's so rewatchable because the reactions and the moments of comedy just are enjoyable second, third, fourth time round. Yeah. At the top, you were talking about the importance of moving into this this world of non-scripted. Why is that? You know, what was the thought process behind that that drive? There are a number of factors. 
we wanted to move away from the very straight jacket of the US sitcom model for a number of reasons. The supply from the US has been variable, shows are often cancelled, they take a lot of marketing to break through, and they don't feature UK talent. And we wanted to be clear that we are here in the UK, we're broadcasting not from a black, black box over in the US, but we're here, and we really wanted to have more UK tonality on the channel. And moving into non-scripted was a way of achieving both of those goals. So creating vehicles that can be home for big UK stand-up names, but also exploring the boundaries of where we can take Comedy Central as a channel. And we had huge success last year with Russell Howard mm -hmm. and Mum, the USA road trip, which was the first time we had a travelogue. Yeah, a different way of approaching comedy, as you say, Absolutely. not necessarily in the, the way you think of. Of scripted. We have had Drunk History, which is obviously quite an anarchic format in its own right. We've now got our first game show. Also, we've got a couple of pilots in factual entertainment, which is an interesting area. Again, if you think of shows like Come Dine With Me or Don't Tell the Bride, they're funny shows. They have funny moments, mm. but they're not comedies. So how can you take a fact and format and really dial up the funny by having a comedic host or a voiceover or adding in more comedy beats? So we're exploring that area as well right now. Is that something, so you're asking producers to come to you with perhaps an idea they weren't necessarily brought to before, a fact and format type? type show but but saying you know how can you approach that with a comedian or with, absolutely with another element? we are super open to ideas from different uh, different genres different areas how can you twist them how can you find the comedy in that we had our first go as a pilot at a comedic reality show again you take Towie, Dick Made in Chelsea they've got funny moments and we have made a pilot with a YouTuber who has a world and a reality situation around him how do we translate that into linear viewing? So they're definitely but not scripted. In, that's in, not a, in, scripted. A, in a traditional Ab reality setting. Absolutely that, yeah. We are doing a pilot, which is um, a topical weekly show, which, again, the channel's never had. We had the Chris Ramsey show, which was a comedy ENTS format with Chris playing silly games in his basement. So we're really looking at different ways that we can get comedy onto the channel. In the topical sense, are you looking at trying to... Everyone's trying to crack the Daily Show model, which obviously airs on, on Comedy yes. Central. Is, is that the type of topical thing that you're looking at? I don't think we'll do a Daily Show. I think that's hard to pull off, and of I think people have tried in the UK. Uh, and, <laughs> don't know and what you're referring to there, Louise. <laughs> But I think a weekly version is something within our ambitions and something we're looking at quite seriously. In the same tone of a, perhaps the Charlie Brooker White style, uh, 10 o'clock live, something like that. Something in that vein, I think, yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. Are there any other things that you would like producers to bring you? Are there things that, that perhaps they're, they're not think of as Comedy Central uh, ideas that you might like? There's something I've had my particular eye on and envy, which is Taskmaster on Dave. It's such a fantastic show. And I think a version of that for Comedy Central would be quite fun. So a physical challenge with with names attached to it, because that, that works really well for us. Something that's weird and wonderful yeah. that, that someone might not think of as just a kind of a strange idea that, that can pop. Absolutely. And always with young audiences at heart. And you, you tried a bit of scripted um, over the last couple of years. Is uh, is that going to be something that you're going to continue or is it more, more on the non-scripted side? Scripted is something that definitely will always have a place on the channel. And we're still active in that area. I think we're keen to focus more on very distinct and authored British pieces. In the past, we looked at trying to cater for an international market, and that is quite a challenge, I think, getting something that will work in 97 different territories. So scripted is absolutely still on our roadmap, but I think with a more focused UK lens, 
author distinct something in the flea bag chewing gum mold that a lot of people are talking about these days. And we have an interesting pilot in development with Tom Davis that is in that vein. So we'll see where we get to. Excellent, excellent. Well, that all sounds interesting. And your face or mine is on every Wednesday night at eight pm. Yes. Thanks. Thank you, Louise. For the next ten weeks. Next up, we head to Liverpool for Jimmy McGovern's new BBC One drama, Broken. It follows the daily lives of a community seen through the eyes of a compassionate priest played by Sean Bean. Following his interview with Jimmy McGovern in this week's magazine, Robin talks to Jimmy's longtime collaborator, Colin McCown, founder of LA Productions, the company behind BBC's Moving On, about how the project came together. Before we join them, here's a clip from the show. Please, God. This time. From acclaimed writer Jimmy McGovern. I was a child. You sacked. What? Can I come and see you sometime? Why? So I think you're in pain. But I'll be here thinking of you. I'll be praying for you. This is Britain in the 21st century. There must be something I can claim to feed my kids. You said that you've lived with Shane Michael. I can't tell the truth anymore. You said that you'd done something worse. Broken on BBC One. Colin, hello. Hi. You're the producer of Broken, which has been a long time coming in Jimmy's mind. It's certainly some, an idea he's been knocking around for 35 years or so in some form or another. Well, at what point in this production did you start having those conversations with Jimmy about how it could be realised as a TV drama? Well, I was lucky, really. In 1982, I was one of the forefathers of Brookside. So uh, our first storyline meeting was John Gobber, Kay Miller, Frank Cottrell Boyce, Jimmy McGovern. Not a bad little team. Not a bad team at all. They grew up on that show, really, and they had ambitions to do various things. Jimmy has always had a passion about Catholicism. It's always affected his life in lots of different ways. And if you look at his, his work, the seal of confession sneaks in <laughs> all the time, really, you know. Cut a long story short, we... we did a series together, and we are currently doing a series together called Moving On, which gives a lot of people a lot of opportunities. It's an anthology series. And I said to him, Jimmy, you know, uh, we can carry on doing stuff like this, but, you know, to leave a legacy in Liverpool, it'd be nice if we did something high market, something that would leave a legacy, something that we believed that passionately would set a bar. And I said, what do you want to write about? And he said, do you know what? A priest. He said, I fancy a priest because I had a go at doing Priest 1983 or whatever. And he tells you the tale about trying to um, get it off the ground as a 10-part, a 10 deadly sins, and then a seven-part, and then and then four seasons, and then a one-off was given. You yeah. know? So he, he always wanted to come back to it. And I thought, well, that's the one we should do. Let's go for that. And like some of his earlier projects, this is about a community. First of all, how did you identify the way that this community would be depicted and how that would be reflected in where it's shot. I mean, you wanted to choose the local area in Liverpool. Yeah, but not necessarily sort of uh, shoot it there by all means, but not necessarily set it there because we just thought you're limiting. And also, Scousers got a bad rap, so, oh, Scousers going on their own city again, is it? That's not what it is. So we thought, no, let's leave the, the fixing it, nailing it in the city, but let's shoot it in the city and let's make it reflective of, you know, somewhere that is in the northwest in general, you know. Why not? Because it does all the subject matters that we take on appeal nationally, in my humble opinion. So that was the reasoning. And um, 
I think Jimmy's always been passionate about honesty and truth. And if he can tap into the roots of truth, he can do his best work. And I think he's done his best work on this. Indeed, it's a very powerful series. Now, you say the words sort of drama and Catholic Church, and I would imagine some commissioners, some broadcasters, and also the church itself may wonder what kind of treatment you'll give it. Now, there's clearly a very respectful treatment within the series. How have you ensured it's a fair reflection of the Catholic Church's role in the community? Part of that is obviously Jimmy's writing, but in terms of having people on the production who perhaps know that world. Well, strange enough, we all did. My cousin is a priest and he helped. My uh, half-brother was a Christian brother. We were all steeped in that community. Catholicism has affected all our lives, even though a lot of us are lapsed now. But you're right. I mean, the important thing in taking on any world is to do it faithfully and honestly and not glibly and to take on the truths of the matter. The church that uh, we wanted to feature was St. Francis Xavier SFX in, in Liverpool. And we went to them and told them what we were up to. We interviewed a series of priests, um, some we knew, some we didn't know. We talked about a day in their life. We talked about their role, how they've seen it, how they believe they affected the community. I'm not saying easily the thing wrote itself, but what we did get was phenomenal background material that was honest and accurate. I asked that question, by the way, last night we had a launch in um, the Lowry Theatre in Manchester to Father Dennis, and I said, look, all around this table you've got contributors who do drama, we're all tarts, we're all media tarts, we all make things up, we all do things. We often get it wrong, we often get it right. What do you reckon? And he said, it's the most accurate portrayal of a Catholic priest and his community that he's ever seen. But still not afraid to tackle tough subjects. And in particular, the background here, Jimmy said that you know the time was now right to return to this subject as far as he was concerned in relation to the current economic climate, the age of austerity and that sort of thing. What's your view on how drama can reflect the current political climate at any time, but particularly at a, t- at a time like now where it feels quite fragile? I think anybody who has that insight, that overview, is clever enough to use the manipulating sources as material before you go anywhere, take my hat off to, to be honest with you. All we do is think, what's a great story? What makes a great story? As a byproduct of that, if it is political, then so be it. And if the tools of the trade are there to be used and not manipulate, but use as a component then so be it. What I think is fantastic about this and does assist us in our pursuit to be contemporary, accurate and honest is that Catholicism is like this circular door. For a dramatist, it's fantastic. You could spend an awful lot of time with any one character explaining where they came from and what motivated them. Scenes and scenes and scenes and scenes of exposition and so forth. Or somebody turns up a confession and says, I've got a problem, Father. And then the next one, I've got a problem for that, and dump upon you the, the biggest woes on earth. That's what happened. And we just thought, oh, Christ, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it, really? We, just, we have an access door, a portal to a world out there that we don't have to do too much work to explain the particularly manifesto or ideology. We just have to say, it's happening, and listen to them and portray their story honestly, and that's what we did. In filming it, was it important 
to you to use the local community, the, the local crew, and sort of reflect where you are filming. I know you've said that it's, you know, you don't get too hung up on exactly where it is, but there's obviously the strong flavour of and the Northwest. Absolutely vital, to be honest with you, really, because I think when it doesn't have to be that way, then you don't have to be as exact about it. When we do moving on, I've had emails from people saying, when are you coming back from Tunbridge Wells? <laughs> Uh, we didn't shoot it in some as well, but that's okay. They believed they did, and that's fine. And for all good reasons, I took that as a compliment. This time round, yeah, I think you've got to get your facts right. You've got to get your culture right. You've got to get the people who you're portraying stories about right. And I think it's that level of details, because people often thought, oh, I see, you're doing a, a series about Catholicism, therefore it'll all be about Catholicism, and it'll all be about procedure, it'll all be about something I really don't want to listen to. Do you know, I've seen lots of dramas about all kinds of different worlds, closed worlds, different worlds, the Jewish take on things. I've been fascinated by it, and it's been absolutely the detail that has drawn me in. It's exactly the same from our point of view with Catholicism and where we live and how we live and where we live and who lives there. One thing I've touched upon with Jimmy is the idea of how important it is and how easy it is to get domestic dramas away i mean you have a very open framework with a show like this and a show like moving on to sort of tell lots of stories the vogue now in drama in particular a lot gets talked up about big international blockbusters things that'll play on netflix things that are going to tell fantastical stories in the domestic side often it's related to crime this sits somewhere to one side do you think a there's a duty of broadcasters to do these kind of more of these kind of dramas and be is there enough of this kind of drama out there do you know i don't mind the challenge really i i don't mind broadcasters saying to me make it interesting mate i'll make it interesting i'll make it interesting i'll make it real i'll make it believable i'll make it accessible i'll touch on the politicalness of of the whole thing and i'll take that challenge and i'll run with it i was more than happy uh, to take this on board not because i believed that in doing something more domestic, uh, less sensational, will be limiting. It isn't. It isn't to me at all, really, in a way. I think that if you can engage people, if you can touch them, it's really hard for me to describe it without giving plots away and stuff, as you can well imagine. But I, I'd love to have this conversation again with you once we've shown episode one and, and we would have said to our audience, do you get that? Do you get what we did? Do you get how very limiting that if I was to tell you what the plot was in episode one and you'd have gone, well, it's not much. It is much. It, it, it's phenomenal, really, in a way. And, and I can't believe anybody will, there will be a dry eye in the house after episode one because it's such an emotional, engaging, but very simplistic portrayal of uh, a, a sociological phenomenon which is happening out there right now. Do you see a place for strong voices like Jimmy's breaking through in TV today? Are there enough opportunities for new writers to come through and learn their craft and hone their craft? There's a responsibility, and I think it's a responsibility people have got to try and make it happen. I think there's a lot of whinging going on. When people go, I don't get the breaks. I, I often kick off when students that we have, because we have a, a film academy as well, when they say things like, it's who you know. It's not who you know. It is not who you know. It is not who you know. It is not who, you know, please don't think that. And it really does my, does my head in. It's, you know, you taking the voice that you have, you know, believing in your subject matter and passionately committing to it, and then you will change opinion, you know. I think what people get wrong, particularly young voices and young writers, is that 
they forget they've got an advantage. Their advantage is they have a phenomenal take on certain aspects of modern life that we don't because we're not exposed to it the way they are. They're of an age where they can embrace it and experience in a unique way. That uniqueness is commercial, in my humble opinion. Recognise it, do it, move forward with it, and don't live in the past of some other guy who happens to be Jimmy McGovern or Paul Abbott or whomever he may be. That's them. They've done their bit. They've put their time in. Put your time in on your, on your own graft, really, and persuade people. We take people on all the time. By the way, Broken, there are through relatively new writers working with Jimmy on that, which came through moving on. We've helped them graduate. We've helped them find a voice. We've helped them find a good fit for themselves. You're right, it's, it's not easy, but nothing's easy. So don't use that as an excuse. And there's too many whinges, in my humble opinion. I've had worse breaks than most people known to man. Things that should have happened that didn't happen. But you just have to get on with it, really, and and get your voice out there. And I believe there are people who will listen. If I asked you your story of your life, I don't know you, I've never met, right? You would say at one point in your life, somebody seen something in you. Somebody, a teacher, a parent, a, a relation said, and said something encouraging to you. That was your change. Find that change, live with it, move on. So, will there be a second series of Broken? God willing. I, 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 Jimmy was saying that he's he's put a little note that he wants to get buried in SFX. I said, could we do the second series first? <laughs> Good so stuff. We'll Thank you. Broken will air on BBC One at 9pm on Tuesday the 23rd of May. That's your lot for this week's episode of Talking TV. My thanks to Louise, Colin and Robin. I'm Peter White and the producers are Chica Ayres and Matt Hill from Rethink Audio. See you on the other side. <laughs>